Hello, welcome. You're listening to Feed, Play, Love, a bite-sized parenting podcast, a place you can find advice, understanding and support as you care for your small humans. I'm Siobhan Hunt. Throughout the coronavirus pandemic, I've been comforted by the news that children are the least likely to get seriously sick from the virus. For a long time, myself and my family sailed through the COVID waters untouched, but recently it's felt like kids and their families are falling like flies. Last week, I got an email from my kids' primary school saying that they'd had COVID cases in every year bar two. So what's happening? particularly as kids in primary school are now eligible for the vaccination. And what can we expect from the upcoming winter? Dr Norman Swan has become Australia's most trusted voice on COVID during the pandemic. He's also recently released a book called So You Think You Know What's Good For You. Norman, welcome to Feed, Play, Love. Thanks, Sean. Primary school age kids have been eligible for, for the vaccination since early January this year. Why are so many getting sick now? Well, first of all, not enough children have been immunised. So the last time I looked, only, have, uh, only about 50% had had their first dose. So it depends on where you're listening to this in Australia. So not enough parents have had their children immunised. So while you get some protection against infections in the first place, in other words, can the virus enter your body, there's too many children who are totally unvaccinated or partially vaccinated. And so you've got the combination of Omicron, which tends to evade the vaccine initially, in other words, getting into the body, but also you've got too many unvaccinated kids, so it's running riot. And do we know why parents aren't getting their kids vaccinated? I think from what you just said, people believe that this is a mild disease in children, which by and large it is, but at least six children have died in Australia from COVID-19, and a couple of those had no pre-existing conditions. It's a rare event, but when you've got tens of thousands of cases every single day, millions of Australians having been affected, then rare things do happen. I don't know what it is. If it's, let's say it's a one in 10,000, one in 100,000 event, if you've got 100,000 infections, then one in 100,000 is going to happen. And, and so parents should not be complacent. The other thing is that politicians have told them that this is a mild virus. It's not a mild virus. It's only a bit milder than the Delta virus. Um, And in fact, if you look at Hong Kong at the moment, where in fact it's showing up as quite severe in children, well, more severe than they've seen before, but also in the older age group who are unvaccinated, one in 200 are dying. So it's got a high mortality rate in people who are unvaccinated, not in children, stress that, not in children. But this is not a mild virus. This is probably a similar severity virus to the initial virus that appeared in China in 2019. When my daughter, she just turned 10, she had COVID in late January and she had headaches and fevers, but she recovered fairly quickly, maybe in about two days. She also managed to get COVID maybe about four or five days after she'd had her first vaccination. How much difference does the vaccination make to firstly how sick kids get and does even one jab help? One jab helps a little bit, but you've really got to have two to get to be fully vaccinated and get the antibody response that they found in the clinical trials. And it may well be that later on this year, they'll actually discover that they need three. And children 
often need three doses of vaccines. And parents listening to this know this well. Their triple antigen, hepatitis, human papillomavirus used to be like that. So there are lots of vac- there are vaccines that are three doses, and these are three dose vaccines. It's going to turn out that the um, vaccine, when it emerges for the six months to five year old age group, that will almost certainly be a three dose vaccine to start off with. So you need at least two doses to get yourself up to scratch. And what the evidence suggests is that once you get two doses, you're about somewhere between 30 and 50% protected against an infection in the first place. But you're, you are very highly protected at the 90 odd percent level in children against severe disease, even with, uh, even with Omicron. You just mentioned there the um, vaccination for the six-month to five-year age group. I know there's many parents who are probably wondering where that is at. Do you do you know where we're at with vaccinating that age group? It's probably not far off. The first round of tests on the vaccine found that the, the dose, they were cutting back the dose so they didn't get very many side effects, but they probably cut it back a bit too far. Um, and that's where I was talking about. They were sent back to do more studies on children. And it's turning out that they're going to need three doses. So they they were trying to do it as a two dose and it's not working out. It's going to have to come back as a three dose. I don't think it'll be very long. It'll be sometime this year when not to, well, six months to five-year-olds are immunised. If we're talking to parents whose child has had one or no vaccinations yet, but they're one of those many, many children who have had COVID in the last several weeks, should they still get the second vaccination, start the vaccination process? And if yes, which I suspect the answer is yes, when should they be doing it? When is it safe to get the vaccination? So you can get immunised when you're well again. You just don't want when the child's well again. You don't want to be immunised when you're feeling sick and your immune system is distracted with another infection. Once you're over it, and your child's back to normal health, then you can get immunised. You know, some GPs say, what might say, wait a little bit longer, but once you're well again, you can get immunised. And yes, I strongly recommend that parents get the child immunised after a natural infection, because all a natural infection does is protect you against the same version of the virus. So if you've had Omicron, it's good at protecting you against Omicron. But what they've shown in studies is that when you have vaccination on top of a previous infection, you get a much deeper, more robust, more adaptable immune response that's going to actually help prepare you for future variants to some extent. Now, a future variant may be vaccine resistant, but the the reality is that the natural infection doesn't give you great coverage moving forward. So you want that and you want the, the full double dose in your children to get that deeper response. Because it's not just the antibodies, it's the white blood cells called T cells in your blood, which store memory and are also attack cells in their own right. So antibodies are substances dissolved in your blood, which home in on the virus. But T cells are are like armored vehicles that go straight for the, uh, or missiles that go straight for the the virus and and, uh, kill it themselves. And it's thought that that T cell response is the one that protects you against severe disease. And vaccines are really good at that. If we put aside for the moment this argument that um, some parents believe that children don't get very sick with COVID, which we've already discussed and know is not necessarily true, 
Regardless of how ill children get, when children get sick, families do still need to go into isolation. Different states and territories have different rules. But any kind of isolation causes huge disruption to work among families and many families are already trying to recover from the last two years. Given that we have such low vaccination rates in kids at the moment, do you see the current rules around isolation continuing over winter? I don't know the answer to that question. Winter is going to be a worry, particularly if a new variant comes into Australia and that new variant is worse than Omicron. If a new variant comes in, then it's going to be more contagious than BA1 or BA2. It has to be to muscle BA1 or BA2 Omicron out of the way. Now, the worry is that a new variant is more severe. There's no guarantee that it will be less severe. It's a kind of random thing. So it will be more severe, less severe, or the same severity. But that's independent of whether it's contagious. What we know is the next variant will be more contagious. It has to be to take over. Now, there are two ways it can be contagious. One is that it's more contagious in its own right. It's stickier, it produces more virus. That's probably what's happening with BA2. But if it's more immune evasive, in other words, it evades the immune system, and that's why it spreads more easily. That's a worry because the question then is the extent to which the vaccine still protects you against severe disease. Because the protection against severe disease did drop a little with, um, with Omicron, still very high, but did drop a little. And you don't want it to drop it down very much more. That's a long way of answering that we've got to be ready when a new variant arises of going back into being careful indoors, good ventilation, wearing masks and so on. And that's hard in winter. But the best thing that parents can do is talk to the school about what they're doing about ventilation. Have they done ventilation studies? Are they measuring CO2 levels? Do they have the windows open? Have they got fans circulating air? What are they doing about ventilation and creating a huge demand by parents for good ventilation? Because good ventilation has been shown in many studies, reduces the chance of transmission particularly in the school environment. And then at home, being just a bit aware of having good circulating air. And it's a weird virus. You can have the child in the bedroom and isolated or you can child mixing around and some people will get it and some people won't. And it's a bit of a mystery as to why that happens. It's probably reasonably safe when things die down and they will die down over the next two or three weeks. And there will be a lull, but it will come back. Is that You can relax a bit during the lull But if we don't relax and we don't isolate, then this surge that we've got now will just keep on going until it burns itself out. Whereas if we try and slow it down, that we'll come off the top a little bit earlier. So speaking of winter, this is the time of year when people often get their flu shots in preparation for winter. Is it a good idea for kids to get the flu shot as well? I mean, which do you think will be most protective this winter? The flu vaccination, the COVID vaccination or both? It has to be both. Um, You do not want your child to get COVID and the flu at the same time. That increases the risk, at least in adults, of needing to go into ICU and being ventilated by 70% and increases the risk of death by 50%. 
So even if the risk of death is low, it'll still, it, it can increase it. You do not want to get both at the same time. So you want to be immunized. And children under children are a high-risk group for influenza. So it's the opposite with influenza from COVID. Influenza is at its most severe in children under five, people aged over 65, and First Nations peoples, and also people with comorbidities. So influenza is almost the opposite, to some extent, of COVID. So kids need to be immunized against influenza. And if they've never had an influenza jab before, they need two influenza jabs, one initially and then one four weeks afterwards. What's the age um, for the flu vaccination? I can't remember. It's any age, is my understanding. Um, I think babies can have the flu shot, as far as I'm aware, but you need to check with your GP. But certainly there's no, it's been proven to be safe in all age groups. And if you're pregnant, and this is, you know, talking a group of parents where the female partner is in the reproductive years, pregnant women need to get the flu shot any time of year, regardless of the season, because you do not want to get flu when you're pregnant. You get very bad outcomes and the influenza vaccine is safe. So the answer is you get both and you can have them both on the same visit to your GP or your pharmacist. Moving on to how we will be looking at this uh, winter as parents, I know that or most schools will say don't send your kid to school if they have any symptoms of COVID, which could be coughing, sneezing, headache, any of that sort of thing. And I know, Norman, you're a parent and we know how little children get sick very often with just a sniffle. The solution for parents so far has been to use rat testing for their kids, um, which I find very confusing. I tested my daughter twice, uh, both times she was negative. Um, I knew something was up, so I took her for a PCR and that was when we found out she was positive. Do you have any advice on how parents can tackle this particular situation during winter, given that children are so susceptible to getting little sniffles and sometimes RAT rat tests don't show whether they have COVID or not? Look, parents have just got to follow the... I'm sorry to do this to you, but parents have just got to follow the rules in each state. I can't... I don't want to subvert the rules in each state. And as you say, it's confusing and they're different different states. The problem with rat testing is that rat testing, first of all, Almost certainly what's going to turn out is that different manufacturers have different performance on the rat test. And some manufacturers are probably making pretty lousy rat tests, but we don't know which ones they are. And the Therapeutic Goods Administration is relying on data that the manufacturers themselves have given to the TGA. And in some instances, that will not be reliable. So we, we don't have good independent reviews of this. So, you know, the other thing about rat tests, even if they're high-performing, is that they're not good at telling you whether you're infected. They're good at telling you whether you're infectious. In other words, are you contagious? So your rat test could be negative when you're positive for the virus. But a good rat test will tell you whether or not you're contagious on that day. And that's where the confusion lies. People think it tells you whether you're infected. It doesn't, it's not good at telling you whether you're infected. It's much better at telling you whether you're likely to spread it on the day that you're positive. So if your rat test is positive, then you really do have to isolate and stay at home because 
you are infectious on that day. But you might have well had the infection for three or four days beforehand, but the rat test hasn't picked that up. Right. <laughs> well, I, haven't, I, haven't help, I haven't helped you here, but the confidence that you can have is if you're rat negative, it's highly unlikely that your child is actually infectious on that day. But, but nonetheless, no parent should be sending a child with any symptoms into another environment with other children because there are other respiratory viruses going around which are also problematic. There's respiratory syncytial viruses, adenoviruses, there's enteroviruses. And those are not good to have with COVID either. So you shouldn't be sending children to school or kindy or preschool with any respiratory symptoms because you could be sending them with a toxic virus. Right. I, I do hear that with a heavy heart because I know how, I know. especially when you've got kids in daycare, how how often but, children but, need to send them. But the daycare will send them home anyway. I mean, you know, I've been there, you know, the wishful parent, they're not going to notice the runny nose. And then, <laughs> then you get the phone call an hour later when they're having their morning tea. Did you know he's got a runny nose? Oh, really? Really? <laughs> not that. Finally, your book, So You Think You Know What's Good For You, is a comprehensive guide to health. Are there any tips in there for how parents can handle the coming winter for just general good health for their families? So it, it's actually a very different kind of health book. And I wrote it for the age group of people listening to this podcast because I've been giving a lot of talks to people in their mid-30s, 40s and so on about health and very knowledgeable about their health but confused about where to get reliable information. And I, I hate the normal health book. And the normal health book talks down to you wags its finger at you and says, oh, you know, if only you'd been doing this, that, or the other, your life would be different. and implies that you're being the stupid person and takes away <laughs> agency from the, you know what I'm talking about. And they're usually written mm -hmm. by bloke, blokes, by the way. So I decided I was going to write a book that just tells the truth and you can make up your own mind. So for parents, um, so I'm, I'm assuming that most people who read this book are in their 30s and 40s. And, and I assumed if I wrote it for that age group, then boomers would read it as well because you know, they think they're 40 years old. And, <laughs> and so I bust a lot of myths in it about wellness, about resilience. I hate those words, wellness and resilience. People in their parenting years, you know, young kids, you know, you, you read the magazines or you get this image of wellness that if you're a bloke, you jump out of bed in the morning, you know, full of beans, go to the mirror and brush your pearly white teeth and admire your washboard abdomen. <laughs> and your three perfect children come in and say good morning to you. And if you're a woman, you jump out of bed and you go and wash your pearly white teeth and admire your thin thighs and and, and tiny bottom and uh, large, <laughs> you know, just, you know what I'm saying, and, and full of beans ready for the day. When most of us wake up feeling completely crap and, you know, <laughs> And how do you know if you're well if you don't feel crap some of the time? And so, and so the life is just a cycle of things. And we just, we've been led to expect that we've got to have this full-on feeling of fantastic all the time. When if you've got a, two or three kids, you're knackered all the time. <laughs> yes. And if you're a woman, the, your, your partner's probably not pulling his weight if your partner is a, is a bloke and so on and so forth. So it's about setting expectations. About It's about not medicalizing stuff like lack of sleep, 
you know, the feeling that you've got to drink two liters a day and have, if you don't drink two liters a day, you're going to die of dehydration. Um, I won't go into all the details, but essentially, if you get to the end of the book and you've had a good laugh, I've given you the evidence, you make up your own mind. And, and uh, I talk a lot about sex. I realize that if you're parents of young people, you, you say to me, sex, what is that? I understand <laughs> that. But one day I'll come back, I promise you. Um, just hang in there. And, but I also talk about screens and screen time, which is a, a perennial anxiety for particularly as the kids grow up, but also in, in young kids and a warning about babies and what you expose them to um, on screens. Because it's been shown, for example, sneak preview of the book, that if you park a, a baby, and by baby I mean anything up to about 18 months, perhaps even longer than that, in front of a television, or a screen, and they're watching <coughs> material which is h highly cut, where the image is changing every second or two, that changes the way their brain is growing. And so it's not necessarily violence or anything like that. It could be music videos. Um, it could be violence and so on. And if you actually watch Sesame Street or um, Play School, they don't, they don't edit it much. It's a single shot, by and large, on the two presenters. And, and they did that long before the science was in on rapid intercourse. Anyway, those are the sorts of things I talk about in So You Think You Know What's Good For You. Norman, it, I have started to read this book, and it is very funny and very straight down the line, which I think most parents would definitely appreciate. And I definitely appreciate you talking to us today about where we're at with COVID and kids. So thank you so much for your time today. It's been my pleasure, Siobhan. That's Dr. Norman Swan. His book is called So You Think You Know What's Good For You. You'll find links to where you can find the book in the notes of this episode. I'm Siobhan Hunt. I hope you enjoyed this episode. If you did, please rate and review us so we can reach and help even more parents. And if you have a topic you'd like me to cover, send your email to feedplaylove at theparentbrand.com.au. See you next time. Mm -hmm.